Welcome to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. I'm a professor, OD consultant, and change strategist, helping individuals and organizations experience life to the fullest and engaging in positive transformational change. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. Today, I'm visiting with Dr. Nate Regeer, who is a author, consultant, uh, clinical psychologist, who um, is also a business owner. He operates a really cool um, consulting company called Next Element. And that is just scratching the surface of of what that organization does. So um, I'll let Nate um, talk a little bit about his background. And then we're going to kind of focus in on a couple of his current projects that he has going on. And uh, there'll actually be a link to a survey that you can take part in. It's a really um, cool research project that he has going on. So, Nate, welcome. Hey, it's great to be here, Dr. Maddox. Jim, can I call you Jim? You can, yep. Well, it is great to be here. I appreciate this opportunity to reconnect with you and uh, enjoyed catching up here before we started recording about our different career paths. And, you know, it is quite kind of interesting all that's happened not just over the last few years, but also with COVID and how that's affected all of our ability to deliver what we do and, and um, keep, keep our professional lives afloat and growing and learning. So, yeah. So um, and I'm sure, I'm sure so much of your work was done face to face before uh, because it's all around human relations and, you know, just how you adapt that to, to kind of that, that online Particularly with, uh, I'm just, I'm really fascinated by the, the topics that you had mentioned around uh, personality inclusion, which, oh. you know, I've heard the word inclusion, but I've not heard it put together with personality inclusion. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear your uh, thoughts on that and also just the idea of inclusion and conflict. So, oh, yeah. Well, I, when you said, tell me a little bit about your background, I didn't know where to start. I never know where to start. And, so maybe personality can be the theme for what I choose, what I want to tell you about my background. Um, I discovered a model of personality when I was a clinical psychologist. That actually was my first career. For 11 years, I practiced clinical psych. And I discovered a model that I had never learned about in my academic training, in my doctorate program. And I was just fascinated by it because it was so helpful and practical and useful. And I'll mention some more about that later, but I I come from a background, I actually grew up in Africa. My parents were missionaries with a, a Mennonite church, the Mennonite church. Some of, some of your listeners may have heard of Mennonites. Um, and I grew up in some pretty conflict-full, conflict-ridden areas of the world, like Southern Africa and, and, and Middle Africa. And so I always was struggled to reconcile the conflict around me that I was seeing and all the casualties it was causing with my religious background and ethnic background of nonviolence. And so it's kind of been a quest of mine to figure out how do we, how do we engage with each other around diversity and differences where we can have conflict that doesn't result in casualties. Um, I actually named my second book that, Conflict Without Casualties, and it's really a kind of about that journey, about how do we do that. Um, so this personality model that I just, that I was introduced to was just really fascinating called the process communication model. And it helped me understand my own, how I approach leadership, how I approach my life, um, and why I do what I do. 
uh, and it kind of gave me a new lease on life and really, really has been a, a fundamental um, guiding framework for me in all of my interest in personality inclusion. Great. Yeah. And, and that's, that was kind of the, uh, the impetus and the birth of next element then. Yeah. Is, really that, that, is that kind of where the, uh, the drama triangle kind of that part originated? Well, the drama triangle comes from a psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Stephen Cartman, and he developed it in the seventies actually. And I was introduced to it um, about that same time and just loved it. I just thought, I just found like it was just such an elegant model of understanding how we, how we, dysfunction with each other in relationships. And so we taught that for a long time and kind of then evolved it into a model that we de developed of our own. Um, yeah. So how has that uh, kind of transitioned into the uh, your work around personality inclusion? Well, there's a framework for, if, if you look up the four dimensions of diversity on online or on Google, that you'll get, you'll see a framework, a model, it's a circle diagram. And at the very center is personality. And then around that are things like gender, ethnic background, you know, religious orientation, and then it goes out to some other things. But um, personality is actually at the center of diversity. And yet, very few organizations are are really talking about it or really operationalizing what that means. The hot topics are racial, you know, th there's so many other dimensions of diversity that are so important for us to deal with. And there's lots being done around education and awareness and inclusion and everything. But when I ask organizational leaders, so what about diversity or, or personality inclusion? They're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, people have different personality types, just like they have different ethnic backgrounds or, so what are you doing about it? And at minimum, I might, at most I might hear, oh, well, we use disc or we use this or we use that. And so we, we profile people and that's about where it ends. You know, maybe they use it sort of to match for some jobs or something, but that's about the end. And so um, we, I kind of feel like there's a big gap to fill in terms of the attention that personality differences are getting in the inclusion world. So how's that, um, how, how is that kind of manifesting then both in that, the research effort that you have going on, but then just some of your work with some of your clients? Yeah, well, you know, a great example was just recently a company in your neck of the woods, actually out of Little Rock, Stone Ward is a, is a, independent marketing and branding firm, wonderful company doing some great work. And they have an office in Chicago and one in Little Rock. And they had to go remote during COVID. Um, and they really wanted to be a great place to work, whether it's virtually or not. And they wanted to say, what are all the different ways we can, we can address individual differences and help people feel included, help people deal with the struggle of COVID and be working alone and all of this. So we did training with our process communication model for everyone in the company and started talking about what does this mean for how you work, how you prefer to receive information? How do you like to be supported? How do we have meetings in a way that you have feel like you have a voice or how are you motivated? You know, personality strongly influences psychological and motivational needs. And yet we hardly ever talk about, are you getting your psychological needs met at work? Um, and as a leader, for example, how am I acknowledging and working with all my people to help them get their needs met? So we use that as a framework to really ramp up the 
the precision and the the skill with which this team of like you know 50 60 people were all supporting each other uh virtually that seems like i i i'm really drawn to that because of the of what a healthy culture that would be and, and just what a healthy approach to leadership do you find a lot of organizations struggle to kind of embrace that type of, of openness and vulnerability it's getting better yes yeah the answer is yes and it's getting better and i think at the end of the day organizations they want productivity they want engagement they want retention and this is how to get there uh these are the things that drive that and if we really want to engage people we have to understand what engages them <laughs> you know if we want to include people we have to understand how they're best utilized uh, in the workplace and what it is they need to be able to function at their best. And that's where personality science can really offer a lot. Yeah, it's interesting because the psychologists have been saying for years that that money is not a good motivator, but yet we continue to kind of base all yeah. our kind of our leadership approaches on that. And it's like, yeah. well, as long as we pay people, then that should be enough for them to be engaged. Oh man, I struggled with that. I remember on the executive team in my previous employer and we would wring our hands trying to figure out how we can pay people more to keep them when we're a nonprofit and you know, we just don't have that kind of money. And I kept saying, "Wait, look at the look at the research. You know, when people say you're not paying me enough, that's only half of the sentence. The rest of the sentence is to be treated like this." So, if we treat them differently, they will accept they won't always be looking for greener pastures. And we know, especially with younger generations, pay is not the number one driver of job satisfaction. It's not why they leave jobs and it's not what they're looking for. Yeah. And that's, we, we yeah, it's those intangibles that are very much mm -hmm. capable of, of providing. You know, I think I can't help but think that um, Brene Brown and her work is just, I think is brought kind of to the forefront. Yeah. This idea of, being vulnerable and being authentic and compassionate yeah. and you know it's and it's things that your organization has been um, stressing and focusing on and, and offering to organizations you know well before she came on the scene and so um have you have you seen that kind of being an influence just yeah brene brown brene brown's just been a wonderful voice for this this movement of authenticity and vulnerability and really bringing light to that vulnerability is not weakness. This takes a lot of courage and that the research, even before Brene Brown made it popular, the research was starting to show that leaders who are transparent emotionally and who are accessible emotionally and who are willing to create a level playing field emotionally with their people have higher credibility, higher impact. They're trusted more, they influence stronger. So we know this is true. And so I think now we're getting more popular. It's getting popularized more by folks like, um, Brene Brown, even Oprah, you know, in her book club, if you look at some of the books on her club, a lot of them have to do with this. Um, and so, so I'm with you. I see that happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that it's probably going to be a generational shift in terms of, of, of that. And I, I think you raised a really good point because I think that um, for some, the proof is really in the, in the kind of the bottom line. I mean, it's, yeah. it does result in, in productivity and, and, uh, and some of the other um, hard business goals and yeah. the, some of those metrics, but um, 
but I think it's still not intuitive for a lot of leaders. Well, a global study of conflict that was done a couple of years ago looked at companies all over the globe, all different sizes, all different levels within an organization. And they showed that on average, employees spend about over two hours a week dealing with conflict and just problems that is distracting them from doing their work. And it's higher in some countries than two, but that's overall global. Just in the U.S., we spend over $350 billion a year dealing with conflict. And it results in all kinds of negative consequences um, that you've mentioned that are costly to an organization. But the number one, would, would you guess what the number one cause of interpersonal conflict is at work in this survey? I'm just curious what you would guess. Um, poor communication or personality differences, maybe. Well, you got them. Personality is number one. And then communication problems is down in the top two or three. Um, there's a couple other things, but it's personality and ego clashes that is the number one stated thing. And how many of these, I mean, this is a kind of diversity. Why would we treat personality and ego clashes any different than racial discrimination or any other kind of a thing where different ways of being and existing are somehow seen as a problem? And we're not using those as assets to be able to make our organization stronger. Yeah, I don't, yeah, it's that idea of, and I think some organizations almost try to thrive on, on conflict. The idea that I'm thinking back to a leader that uh, years ago made the comment to me that um, he believed in this, in pitting internal departments against each other because he thought that that, like from a sports analogy, that that competition made everybody better. And it just, it created a really unhealthy culture of mistrust and not sharing information and people in these silos. Yep. And, but it was, it was very intentional. Yeah. You know, what they created or what, you know, what this leader created. Yep. Well, and it is, Sometimes you can see isolated examples of competition. You see people rise, rise to the challenge, or they work hard, and then you get better performance. But if if it's created in an adversarial way where there's winners and losers, that's when everything breaks apart. And I think that conflict can be adversarial and destructive, or it can be highly creative and productive. It's all about how you use it. Um, and I, and so I think you're, I, I'm with you all the way that you, you really have to be careful with how you use that energy. Um, yeah. And I think we do tend to have a really negative view of conflict mm -hmm. and it probably is rooted in what you were talking about in terms of just the, the violent aspect of it and, mm -hmm. um, the casualties, both, yeah. you know, literally in terms of, of parts of the parts of the world, but, but even here in, you know, in, in the, in the U S um, I, it just popped into my head, the, um, book by, um, um, what is his last Marshall the, the, he wrote the nonviolent communication book. Um, not Goldsmith, not, uh, not Rosenberg or Marshall. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nonviolent communication and really kind of reminds me of, of, of some of your, you know, some of your approach. Yeah. Yeah. So how is, how is that? How have you kind of shifted what Next Element does in this virtual space? Oh, a lot. Like you said earlier, the lot of, we focus 
very much on the nuances of interpersonal communication. And so everything matters, words, tones, postures, gestures, facial expressions, everything. And so the work we do is pretty intensive and pretty um, hands-on. And so you were right. We were doing a lot of that in person prior to this. So we did a lot of shifting, a lot of, you know, figuring out how to do this virtually, first of all, just to survive, but then starting to say, how do we take advantage of these platforms and make the most of them? Um, and so one of the unexpected benefits we found is that the chat function is, a is amazing because when you're practicing communication strategies, written communication is one of the most prevalent forms that we use now everything from emails to memos to texting you know to posting on facebook whatever so we can use chat to actually practice and have an archive and and analyze what we're writing and what's happening there and that's something we didn't do when we were in person we would never try to record what was happening and then watch it back like maybe you would do on a um when you're practicing your tennis swing or practicing your high jump skills so now we do that and it's actually accelerating learning in a lot of ways um and so now and it was zoom recordings we can actually record an interaction play it back analyze it try it again and so we're taking advantage of it and things are going great now, what what great feedback, you know, for a leader to think, well, no, I didn't come across that way. And then they watch the recording and be like, yeah, oh, OK, I can see where my mannerisms would have been, you know, kind of perceived this way or perceived that way. So, you wanna, yeah, you want to talk about an intensive 360. We did a leadership masterclass the other day where like 14 leaders all recorded themselves in a particular way. And we all analyzed everybody's recordings and everybody got feedback. That's pretty intensive, but there's nowhere to hide. And in a safe place with good constructive feedback, it was an insane learning experience for these leaders. Wow. Was there much, were they pretty open to that from the, at the beginning or? They were, they knew what they were getting in for and they knew it was going to be a safe place. And most of us knew each other going in. So it worked. Do you think that, that, you know, cause zoom was around before the, before COVID. Do you think that would have worked before, like to have said, hey, we're in this face-to-face -face environment, but we're going to use this technology to record these and then play it back? I don't know. I mean, in my clinical training, now and then I would get recorded or I'd be watched through a one-way mirror doing my little thing and then get feedback. And that was the extent that I'd ever been used to. So I think it would take a little getting used to if we weren't already just comfortable with this medium. Yeah, I noticed, um, you know, I. I've used um, Zoom or, or other platforms for live chats with my online classes for years. And yeah. I noticed a real shift after COVID. Um, the attendance at my, my optional live chats has actually gone up. Um, and I think part of that is people kind of are craving connection. But also they got really familiar with the technology. And so whereas before people were really re reluctant to turn their cameras on, in a, in a live chat. And so yep. I'd have 20 students out there and only three would have their cameras on. Now everybody is used to just turning their camera on because they're just used to being in front of it. And so, yeah. Um, and that's just, it's been interesting that how that, that shift has occurred. Yeah. Yeah. Great observation. Talk a little bit about um, the, the survey, um, that research yeah. project, because I'm going to share the link um, with my listeners and my students. And so I think that's, uh, it's a really um, 
fascinating project. Can you talk a little bit about Sure, that? sure. And thank you for that. We really are looking for people to help us with this. So our study is called the Personality Inclusive Workplace Study. And we're exploring what, what companies are doing around this whole concept of how we, how our personality differences being dealt with as a DEI issue. Um, and and we, we just want to understand what the gaps are, what the best practices are, um, how we can learn from the industry, but also then feedback for those that really want to take their efforts to the next level and include personality. So our survey, it takes about 10, 12 minutes to complete. It's called the Personality Inclusive Workplace Survey. Um, it's on SurveyMonkey, pretty pretty basic, but we're looking for anybody in you know HR, learning and development, people services, the people you work with, all of your um, students out there to just fill out the survey and tell us what's going on in your organization. Um, there's no right or wrong answers, you know, it's completely confidential. And if people do want to leave their email, then they will be the first ones to get the data when, when we have it collected. Um, but we're trying to get as many responses from companies of all sizes around the world as we possibly can. Now that's exciting. Are you finding many organizations that, because I know that the, the DE&I um, function is real. I mean, there's more and more organizations are hiring um, yeah. specifically for that that mm -hmm. role. Um, are you finding that they think of personality as part of that part of that function or part of that role? I'm not. I'm not seeing it. And maybe I'm just not connected with the right people, or I or or maybe they're just a, just an anomaly so far. But if they're out there, I hope we can figure out what they're doing. And um, and I think anyone who takes the survey will be kind of surprised by the questions I'm asking. It's like, oh, you mean this is part of inclusion for personality? I didn't know that this would be included. So there's just going to be a lot of great awareness raising as well. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that is, is just um, around, um, like you were talking about the disc or, you know, how people approach different personality assessments or, um, yeah. how we just almost, um, I don't want to use the word discount, but how we don't really, I think, take into consideration those personality differences. Well, I think those of us that are in this field, we bear the responsibility for this because if we're out there peddling assessments to identify personality, we, we better take the next step and say, so what, now what, what does it mean to know about these differences? And if we're claiming that these are relevant differences, then how are they relevant? And how are we training people to communicate with each other? How are we building what we know into our systems and processes in our organizations? And I just don't see that. I see people say, oh yeah, we're using this survey and we, you know, we, we do a one hour debrief or whatever. It's like, well, so do you talk to them differently now that you, and they, they act like they don't even know what I'm talking about. So we need, I think also we need better models and that's why I love the process communication model and why I wrote my latest book called seeing people through because it's all about personality is really about communication behavior. And if we're not training people how to talk to each other differently, we're not really doing personality differences justice. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't know how many times you, you like in a workshop or in some type of class where we'll have, Oh, we did the Myers-Briggs or we did the disc or we did, or, you know, like true colors. Oh, I'm a red and, you know, and she's a blue and, you know, or, or the animal ones. I'm, you know, I'm a giraffe. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, you know, so what, 
and um, yeah, and it's it, it's I've always found that a challenge because yeah, um, you know, my background started out kind of in, in IO psychology, and I was kind of an outlier in the sense of there were a lot of people that were very much into just pure research, and I was yeah. I was asking well, the so what part, you know, where's yeah. the application? It's like, well, it doesn't have to have application because it's pure research. And, and I just, I, that part didn't really resonate with me. And so um, yeah. I, I kind of, I'm right in agreement with you in terms of, okay, so you know what the Myers-Briggs is, but what do you, what, you know, did your team went through that, but what did that really result in? Did you, you know, yeah. Well, I think a lot of times it results in personality is now the new entitlement program. Um, I'm a high D, so get out of my way. I'm an introvert, so don't talk to me if I'm sitting by myself in class. Don't ever invite me out. Or it's like, wait, learning about our personality should make us more responsible for who we are, not like hiding behind these labels. Um, and that's where kind of awareness can just become a weapon. And the first, the whole intro to my book is about the, the main character, Kayla, is kind of reeling from what she's experienced, which is like a lot of people's experiences in companies that maybe bring in a tool, but they don't really do it justice. Yeah. So I guess it, it, I, I can't just take my guitar and, and use that as a reason to be uh, moody and, and dark and, and, and eccentric. Well, well, you know, it's like... You know, we're laughing because it's so true and we do this, but it's like, oh, the best part or the first best great thing about learning about diversity is we're saying you're okay the way you are, but that doesn't mean you're not accountable. It doesn't mean you're not responsible. It doesn't mean we still as a team don't need to meet targets and that we don't still have to perform. So the question is not, the question then becomes, how are we going to help you the way you are get to where you need to go? Um Okay. So. Like that phrase, someone, oh, I'm just being brutally honest. It's like, uh, you know, I don't know that we want to be brutal. No. Um, but that, but it's kind of that idea of like, well, I'm, you know, I'm a high driver or, you know, like yeah. introvert example. Huh. And so, um, you know, it's like, well, I'm sorry I interrupt everybody. I'm just an extrovert. Yeah. And it's like, well, do you think your behavior has no consequences and you don't think your behavior matters? Because you are in a community with other people and it does matter. Um, I'm, I've been building a relationship with a, a Jill Chang. She's a kind of a famous introvert from, um, from, I think it's Taiwan. And she was really successful here in the U.S. in a very extroverted world. And she talks a lot about that about how she has taken ownership over who she is, but also advocated for how do cultures incorporate and leverage introverts um, to be contributors. Yeah, I think there's been some really fascinating work come out around um, just introverts and leadership yeah. and, um, in the last, I don't know, 15, 10, 15 years. And so um, maybe that's helpful at moving in that direction. So. One of the big messages I try to get through, and this is where I like the process communication model a lot, is it talks about types in people, not types of people. You know, we wouldn't talk about bones like, oh, you're a femur. It's like, no, we all have a femur. Or you're a quadricep. It's like, yeah, yours are pretty well developed and you can lift a lot, but I have one too. And so types in people emphasizes that we all have all these types in us. 
it's just they're in we have different preferences and they're arranged differently so it's how we use that constellation that really is what it's about it's about stewardship of this not so much i'm a this and so i'm gonna just be that um we're all so much more than just one type uh, yeah i really like how you said that because um i've used that example before with like the myers-briggs saying you know the the the, the you know the the practical side of it is is it narrows it down to 16 you know personality types but the reality is there's way more personality types than that and yeah. so that's that's kind of the upside and the downside but i like how you use that word in and so i'm gonna i'm gonna adopt that into my uh, descriptions yeah well you know when you, if we think about inclusion if i if i accept that these types are all in me then when I see maybe one of those types coming out strongly in you, I can, before I judge you, before I do anything, I can say that's part of me too. So I got to make friends with that part in me before I can truly honor that part in you. And in that sense, I can maybe in a more metaphysical way, we really are all connected and we all do have bits and pieces of each other in us. And so I think when we discount or push away someone because of, a particular personality type we're actually distancing ourselves from that part of us and we're killing a part of ourselves and um so that I, to me that's a hopeful message for inclusion uh that's yeah that's really deep i i just yeah i like that in terms of that that interconnectedness mm. yeah. well nate you've really um picked my interest with some i you know i come away from this thinking okay there's a couple new things i need to read some things i'm going to go look up and so um, this is this has really been fascinating. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to be respectful of your of your time and, and let Thank you go. You. This is probably your fourth or fifth Zoom meeting today. So <laughs> Zoom fatigue is a real thing. Yeah. Well, I never get tired of talking about these things, and I appreciate your curiosity and the great work that you're doing as well. Um, I'll, I'll make available some links that people can go check it out if they're curious in some of the things we talked about. I'll send those your way. Okay, awesome. Well, great, Nate. Take care. Stay safe. All right. Appreciate it. Appreciate right. you. See ya. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Chatting About Change with Dr. Jim Maddox. If you want to connect more, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and at my website, drjimmaddox.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.